This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host Brent Billings. Today we continue our review of The Chosen with a discussion on the controversial fifth episode of season two. Oh goodness, controversy stuff. <laughs> Why do not, Christians have to be so dumb? Not a, not a lot of controversy on our side, I don't think, but we'll see. No, and there's plenty like, and this is, I think it's one of my favorite episodes in both seasons. And it's kind of weird to say because there's some weird stuff in this episode. Uh, whole, all the demonic elements and the sensationalized drama type. But I, you know, we'll talk about it. I, it's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite part. My, one of my favorite episodes for lots of reasons. Uh huh. Okay. Well, let's uh, fire that spoiler horn and get into it. So episode starts off, Mary's picking some fruit, she's saying a blessing, she's reciting Psalm 139, practicing the text that uh, she's working on with Matthew and Ramah, and then some Roman soldiers come riding by on horses, and Mary Mary panics and drops her fruit, she kind of runs behind the tree and hides, and nothing happens, the soldiers don't even know she's there, but uh, we see that uh, she's got some internal struggle going on there yeah definitely like a ptsd type reaction and just the more that i grow and grow in my awareness of trauma and people that have experienced abuse whatever her story was we talked about in season one but you know all those blanks weren't filled in dramatically but yeah i, I definitely appreciated the appreciates not the right word but i was struck by her response and just moved by the daily um just struggle she has to live with i'm sure so then we have the credits and then coming out of there we have shmuel and yanni and they're talking with jesse uh, the man from the, the pool about his healing. And uh, after a whole lot of prodding him, uh, they finally decide, yeah, this has to be, this has to be Jesus. Uh, the, the particular Jesus that, that we, we tend to care about most. Uh, it's interesting. The comments that they made, they're like, uh, there were tens of thousands of people here in Jerusalem for this festival. There were thousands of people named Jesus, like we need a little more information than that, Jesse. Come on, tell us something. Uh, which, yeah, interesting historical point there about the about the common commonality of his name. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we typically use the name Jesus because it's un it, like it's an uncommon reference when his name was probably uh, in a literal sense, historical sense, probably we would we would understand it as Joshua. His name is probably Joshua. There was a million Joshuas there. We like to say, I, I like to use the word Jesus. Obviously, anybody that's listened to our podcast knows that I'm I don't run around saying Yeshua all the time or I, I love the word I love the name Jesus. I'm fine with that. I love its peculiarity. Um but I historically speaking, dead on. Now they they chose to keep it as Jesus, but I mean historically speaking, totally accurate. <laughs> People would have a lot of people would have shared his name. Yeah. And so then uh, Jesse leaves and then Atticus comes up to him and starts asking him about what happened. And uh, Jesse's a little hesitant about this situation, but ends up telling Atticus that his brother believes that Jesus is the Messiah. 
And uh, of course, that's quite intriguing to Atticus, uh, probably because he is expecting the same sort of um, military conquering messiah that uh, most everyone else was. And so for him, that's uh, important information if Jesus is getting ready to start this military uh this military force. Yeah, it's a fascinating character that they've introduced that is being followed through season two. But yeah, very interesting. Love it. So then uh, we see Simon the Zealot. Uh, he's praying, exercising out in the wilderness. Uh, he's tending his fire, and then he hears this screaming, and he kind of goes around the corner, finds a demon-possessed man, or who we, we find out to be demon-possessed. Uh, and Simon you know, is approaching him with his knife out and he asks him, you know, is he a Roman? Is he a tax collector? And, uh, the man's like, just, just stay away from me. I, I don't know what's going to happen to you. He asks those questions in response to, he's like, just kill, like, will you please just kill me? And he goes through like his, his zealot vow, uh, of like righteous killing. Like, he's like, well, are you a Roman? No, tax collector? No, well, I'm not going to be able to kill you, sorry. Uh, like, <laughs> there's this. Well, and, and he determines, like, oh, you have these lucid moments. You're apparently strong right. to some extent. And so this demon, if I if I kill you, this demon's just going to go somewhere else yep. and maybe cause more harm. You're strong enough to keep it at least a little bit at bay. So it's better off if I don't kill you. Which, you know, not to, you know, we're not offering comment on the theological veracity of any of those ideas or whether his zealots would have even understood it that way. Um, but uh, I, f- I found the, uh, sometimes when we do these commentaries, I wonder if people are like, oh, they're saying that's right. Um, r- neither here nor there or whether they would have even understood it that way. But I, I did find the zealot part of that very, I mean, he took a vow to, you know, he he's out to, to kill Romans. He's out to kill tax collectors. And he's like, sorry, you don't fit the bill. And I'm not allowed to kill outside of that. You know, I took a vow for what he would perceive to be righteous killing. So sorry. And I just found that to be so interesting. Is that like a recorded vow that we could link to? Or is it just kind of... And I wish. Um, I'm sure it is somewhere. Um, I have never run across it yet in my studies. Um, I've yet to make it even halfway through Ray's bibliography that so much of what we talk about is based on. Um, but I'm not sure if that vow is actually recorded. It could be. Uh, it'd be the Sakari sect is what you'd want to look for if anybody's trying to do research to find it. I don't think we could find a link for the show notes, but the Sakari sect. I can remember reading Reza Aslan's book, Zealot, um, which made all the Christians upset and for decent reason, I guess. Um and it wasn't even that great of an academic work. I would not be recommending it. We could link it in the show notes, um, only with the caveat spoken here that I'm not necessarily in support of the arguments of that book at all. But it was an interesting read on, you know, the Zealot movement. I can't remember. If, I don't think he had the vow in there. He did talk about the Sakari sect somewhat at length. Um, but anyway, there you go. That's all I got. Okay, so... Uh... After that, we have Jesus, Simon, Peter, just to be clear, Andrew and Philip, and they are wandering around looking for John the Baptist. And I love this little exchange. Uh, Andrew says, he said we could find him near the Jordan outside Jericho. And then Simon says, we passed Jericho a while ago. And then Jesus says, near is a relative term. And it's like, oh, yes. Yes. 
Yes. All of this question, the kingdom of heaven is near. What does that mean? Sure. Yeah. Great point. Later on, there's some, uh, what was the other, what was the other term that they, oh, soon. Yeah. When, uh, I think when Jesus and John the Baptist were talking, they talk about, you know, what does it, what does soon mean? And, uh, yeah, I just love how like those terms are so, so not specific and squishy. We, we want them to be specific, but they're not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just love that little exchange. Uh, and so then John, John jumps out and screams and everyone kind of jumps. Uh, and then everyone except Simon is laughing at this point because Simon doesn't have any experience with John and everyone else knows him to some extent. And, uh, I mean, you know, like Philip and, and, uh, Andrew actually followed him for a while. And of course, Jesus grew up with him. So, um, Simon is, uh, a little put off by the whole thing. Everyone else thinks, thinks it's hilarious. By far my children's favorite character so far of two seasons, probably outside of Jesus, but it's probably close is John the Baptist. They just love that guy. They think he's the greatest guy ever. Well, he is fun to watch. That's for sure. Um, so John makes some comments about, uh, the healing and then, uh, Jesus makes comments to John about how it looks like he hasn't been eating any meat. And, uh, and then John goes on to explain he's on his way back to Jerusalem to confront Herod about Herodias. And Jesus is like, Hey, um, uh, can I get some time alone with my cousin? So they wander off and then we are back at the camp. Uh, Mary is teaching Rama how to write, and Mary's getting frustrated that she can't remember something. Which, by the way, I just have to add, like, in in the episode, they're learning, like, the same exact stuff that I'm learning right now with L in our Hebrew class. And I just thought, like, oh, man, what a wonderful little humbling episode for me to be like, <laughs> not only are they saying everything almost exactly as teacher L says to me, and and just like at the same point in in the journey and learning, I'm like, oh, I'm just like Rama. I'm just I'm just like Rama learning my Hebrew. It's wonderful. <laughs> uh, love it. Um, so yeah, Mary's being a little short with Rama in these lessons. Uh, in just addition- like Ella's with me, by the way. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just, kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. So Mary's, you know, obviously distracted. She's still thinking about her encounter with the Romans earlier. Um, so. Clearly, that is affecting her. Um, then, we, then we see outside the tent that Thomas and Matthew are preparing food, and Thomas is frustrated with the uh, situation of being stuck in the camp, uh, specifically with Matthew, but I think also in general. And Matthew, meanwhile, is trying to point out that Mary seems frustrated and that things are not going well. And then uh, Thomas is taking that to mean uh, Matthew is actually interested in Rama, and. Uh, obviously feels threatened by that, which in some ways it's like, why does he feel threatened? Because Matthew's a tax collector and nobody likes him, but also like maybe because nobody likes him, Ramo will have pity on him and choose Matthew over Tom. Like, I mean, complicated, obviously not, uh, not anything that they're pulling straight out of the text, but, uh, I, I, I think probably real to the human experience of the complications of relationships. Definitely relatable. Definitely relatable. And then, uh, and then we see Simon the zealot in a nearby tree and he's just kind of checking out the camps and what's going on there. Uh, so then we're back to John and, uh, John the Baptist and Jesus and they're, they're sitting by a lake or something and they're discussing John's plans. John's citing Torah. 
Jesus is like, Hey, look, I know this is a problem, uh, but I've got bigger things to do. John's like, well, wait a minute. Are you minimizing incest? <laughs> He's like, well, no, it's like the, the romantic lives of royalty has been a fast fascination for people, uh, for a long time. And, you know, on a personal note, all the way to this day. <laughs> um, how much time do we spend talking about the Royal family and, and, uh, you know, for a country oh, that, that we're not even a part of, yep. um, apologies to our UK listeners, but, um, yeah, people are just, it doesn't matter. Royalty, celebrity, whatever people are fascinated with this, this idea. And Jesus is like, Nope, Nope. That's like, sure. That's the thing that's already been, addressed in Torah, like, I don't need to address that. I have bigger things to do. You be careful. You be careful and watch your mouth, Brent Billings. I'm waiting for the new season of the crown to come out. So. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Uh, If I had unlimited time, I'm sure I would watch it too, but you know, I've only got so much time in the day, Marty. Um, So, so Jesus and John are uh, discussing how John resembles Elijah to some extent. And, and, uh, and then John, pivots and he's like, Hey, uh, Jesus, what, what, what's, what's the hold up here? Why are you moving so slowly? And Jesus is like, well, I'm, I'm working on a sermon. Um, and he's asking John about, uh, how he addressed ever, uh, the, the religious leaders as a brood of vipers. And, uh, you know, Jesus is just like, Hey man, like, do you really need to, to do all these things that you're doing? Like, you gotta be careful. You're gonna, you're gonna get yourself a little bit too deep in deeper water than you think you are. And I just want you to be careful. And John's like, well, I just want you to get to the point. Yeah. I love that whole scene and conversation. I love how they, in my opinion, so accurately depicted the different paradigms and philosophies that John the Baptist and Jesus have. I mean, it'll, depending on what they do with later seasons, it will set up the conversation that's had later between John and Jesus. I love how like they're so on par and they're peers and they're cousins and the conversation is back and forth. And yet I also love that in the acting, they're still able to pull off this because it's so amazing that they're able to do this with human actors and their humanity. And yet these two actors between Jesus and John, John is still not quite Jesus. Like, like they're not exact equals. There, there's still something about the Jesus character that still sets him just a little above. And you, you hear John talking about, you know, I, I, the, my followers love it, lots of followers. And uh, he says this. Um, what was the other statement that he says? Um, oh, that the people hold me to be a prophet. Uh, like he talks about himself with just a little bit more of a, um, not, and I'm not heavy handing. You're like, I don't want to critique the John character, but he, he's human. You see a little bit of ego, just a little bit of pride, something you're just not seeing in the Jesus character at all. And I love how they're able to do that. And that that whole conversation, that scene, I just loved. I do agree that there is probably a little bit of pride there, but I also think that he's looking at it as like, hey, that I have all these followers and they're impressed by what I do. And... Uh, also the followers think I'm a prophet and and that gives me all this leverage and that's what we're going to use. And we're just going to, we're going to pull this lever and we're going to bring the kingdom, you know, by force. Right. And I think that's where the ego, yeah. I don't mean ego in just like a self-serving way, but I think he's, he, he doesn't see, well, I think about all the stuff we're talking about in the John episodes, right? This, 
you see it from an earthly perspective versus a heavenly perspective. And I think uh, you see that coming through in, in John's, the way he sees the situation. And, and when you said it that way, Brent, I even thought he's even kind of calling to Jesus, like, hey, Jesus, if you would run your program just a little bit, you know, with just a little bit more social savvy, you could have more followers. You could have, people would think you're a prophet and we could get about the business of the kingdom. Um, and and I, I wonder if that's even part of what he's getting at there too. I'm not sure if I'm, the way that they, and the rest of the season, and, and, and I'll have plenty of time to, to pick on this later uh, in, in the upcoming episodes. They definitely start to build this as Jesus has a sermon. The Sermon on the Mount becomes like this focal point of his ministry. And I'm not sure if I'm in love with that idea that Jesus, well, well, A, if we go back to our sermon episodes, Sermon on the Mount episodes, I'm not sure the Sermon on the Mount was actually a sermon that was given as an entire teaching, as a Sermon on the Mount. Could be. I don't I don't really care either way. I don't have a dog in that hunt necessarily. But I'm not sure it was this. I mean, maybe the more I talk about it out loud here on the episode, which is always a bad spot for me to do my processing, <laughs> maybe, maybe it was a key moment for Jesus's ministry. Like some of those, some of those moments that, that like, that's where he's focused on. Like, this is a hinge point in my ministry where things kind of turn on. And maybe, maybe now that I think about it out loud, maybe, maybe, okay. Maybe I'm convinced. There we go. I've changed my position live. We'll definitely talk about that in episode eight. Uh, but al- oh also, I don't think anyone will be necessarily surprised by what we say because we went through the Sermon on the Mount back when we did session three. So there we go. Okay. So then we see a quick shot of Atticus. He's still following Simon the Zealot. Uh, he finds his abandoned campfire. And then uh, then we're back at the Jesus camp. Mary's checking on Ramah. Uh, apologizes for the earlier lesson and, and, you know, being short and frustrated and everything. Matthew is, uh, is, I I love this little, this little spot. Like Thomas is irritated with being at the camp. He's irritated being stuck with Matthew. And yet Matthew is going to say, I don't care what you think of me. I'm going to watch you and I'm going to learn from you because you know how to cook and I don't. And so Thomas grabs this lemon and squeezes it over the cucumbers and Matthew has his own bowl of cucumbers and he grabs a lemon and he does the same thing. And Thomas is like, whoa, he's a little taken back by it, like, oh, you're paying attention to what I'm doing. Um, like just a, a cool little discipleship moment. Yeah, sure. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Yeah. Uh, so then Mary is uh, seeming to develop um, a little bit of a headache. And then that demon possessed man uh, arrives in the camp screaming and, you know, everyone kind of comes out and... Uh, Matthew grabs a spoon. Thomas has a knife. Uh, they're going to do it. The can there's, there's nobody else there, but they're going to do it. The can. And, uh, so then, you know, they're, they're standing there facing this guy and then Mary steps forward and, and starts to, um, converse with this guy. And he addresses her as Lilith and says, he's heard stories about her. She's like, I don't go by that name. What is your name? And, uh, he can't quite get the name out. And then he kind of starts to lunge towards her. I don't know if he's, it's unclear what exactly um, he was attempting to do. But right at that moment, Simon the Zealot just comes out of nowhere, knocks the guy to the ground. 
Um, Simon doesn't know anyone who's there, doesn't really know what's going on. He takes a brief moment to look around and uh, the guy takes advantage of it, knocks Simon back, is choking Simon. And then at that point, Jesus comes running up and casts the demon out. And uh, <laughs> everyone at this, there are a few other disciples who also came because they heard the commotion and everyone is just standing there in stunned silence. And then uh, John the Baptist is like, yeah, <laughs> and I was like, that's the best. <laughs> He's so, uh, it's exactly what he was looking for. Definitely one of their better moments. My yeah. kids loved that moment. And I've heard just from other reviews and stuff, just how, how much the audience loved that the way that was written, the dramatic pause, it was placed really well. And the John character just so well done and well delivered that. Yep. Yep. So then, uh, then Jesus is tending to the, the man. We find out his name is Caleb. Um, Mary kind of slips away at this point, uh, into the, into the wilderness and Simon meets Simon and they, they deal with that conflict of names and, uh, and Jesus is talking to Simon the Zealot, asks him to go for a walk, tells everyone else to take care of uh, Caleb, sends Rama off to search for Mary. And then uh, and then we're back. We have Shmuel and Yanni, and they're reporting all the new things that they've learned. And they find out that the Sanhedrin have already ruled on what they reported previously about Jesus. They decided, nope, he's not a rogue, or he's just a rogue. He's not a threat. And so... Uh, they leave and they're like, okay, what are we going to do to get around Nicodemus? So the guy did not identify Nicodemus as being the one uh, to do this, but they know that Nicodemus is the one behind it. So our old friend is back. Even though he didn't follow Jesus, he's still he's still working in the background. Yep. I noticed them walking through the court of women. Uh, there, there was the offering. Uh, they, they were showing kind of in the foreground people walking by and putting their offerings in the... Um, whatever you would call that, the boxes that would be there, which would make sense if they're going to talk to the Sanhedrin, meet in the Sanhedrin, they would have been in the greater, larger, like portico area on the, on the, on the Temple Mount. Um, and I don't know why it's all of a sudden escaping me. The Stoa, there was a, a, a Stoa. Ray's joke was always, it's not where you go to buy groceries for everybody in the South, um, which is funny <laughs> when you think about it. But the the stoa was the part of the Temple Mount where the Sanhedrin would have their meetings and all that. So I, I, again, just great historical awareness and great setting that they would go from there, be around the court of the women. Yeah, it's just uh, and the court of the women is just simply what that court is called—the outer court, where Gentiles could not go in, but any Jew, male or female, could be in that part of the temple courts. For anyway, thought it was good. Uh, so then we're back with Simon and Simon the Zealot and Jesus. They're discussing what the actual mission is that they're trying to carry out. Uh, Jesus asks for Simon's weapon and then throws it into the water. <laughs> uh, which One of my favorite. Just, yeah. I loved it. I loved it. It reminded me of uh, Luke throwing his lightsaber when, when Ray finally oh. <laughs> finds him. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. It's such a similar move, though. Yeah. Absolutely. You can't carry the analogy out too far because it starts to break down pretty quickly. But that yep. that exact moment reminded me a lot of that. Yep. Uh, very unexpected. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we expected that. But uh, Simon definitely was not expecting that. 
But Jesus says, you know, hey, I just need I just need, need you to believe in what I'm doing and have patience. Uh, you're not the only one who misunderstands what's going on here. Uh, one of my favorite lines right there. One of my favorite lines. He says, without my sacred dagger, what would you need from me? And I love that line. I love how we typically think we know how God is using our gifts, our talents, our 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 degree, our education. Like we we think we know who we are and the tools in our toolbox and how God is using it. And that that without those things, if God takes those away or our circumstances change or we don't get the job in the field that we trained for, or like I I think so many of us wrestle with our identity and well then what good am I? I mean that's what that was what I was good for. I was I spent all this time, I worked for all that stuff. I and and I just thought what a great line that so many of us could relate to. Like if if God's taken my thing away, how would I be any good to him? And and God says, Jesus says, you know, he doesn't say this in the episode, but the implication is listen, you there are things about that that I really want to use, but the thing that you thought was most central is actually something that's just going to get in the way. And I, man, what a wonderful reflection. So after they leave, Atticus comes out of, I don't, I don't really understand where, but Atticus shows up immediately and wanders down into the water and picks up the dagger and is like, huh. Which I love because they're going to, I mean, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do, but I would imagine they're going to need that dagger later. So I'm curious when they threw it in the lake, I'm like, oh no, but they're going to need the dagger at the end at the Lord's Supper after Passover. They're going to need the dagger. So I'm wondering if the dagger is going to make its way back in. I'll be so curious to find out. Uh, so then we see Mary walking on a road by herself. Um, a Roman rides by again. This time she's a little more, she doesn't run and hide. She just kind of stands there a little bit defiantly, uh, looks at the guy as he goes by. And it seems like he's not paying any attention to her whatsoever. Um, but she wanders into a town um, right at nightfall. She finds a tavern, um, is connecting with some old friends. And then we jump back to Jesus. He finds John on the road. This is where they discuss, you know, what the meaning of soon is. And then Jesus reminds John to listen to God's voice as he's doing what he's doing. Um, Atticus is watching uh, off in the distance. He's intrigued that John the Baptist is there. Um, and then as John's wandering off, Jesus is, you know, feeling a little emotional. Like he he knows that John is going to get himself into some trouble and so he, you know, he sheds a few tears. And uh, and Atticus shows Atticus with the dagger again. So it's intentional. Like they're showing you, he's got the dagger in his hand. He wraps it up in a cloth and sticks it in his belt. So that's twice now they've deliberately put that in the scene. So I don't know what's going on there, but we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Okay. So then we're back with Shmuel and Yanni and they're, you know, they're back in their own room. They're continuing to plot, figure out how they can pull this whole thing off they bring up Hillel and Shammai and it's like whoa what? I could not believe that and that's going to follow us into the next episodes but I I could not believe I just couldn't I just, just floored floored um that they put that in there so prominently just wowzers just kudos and you you have me hooked when you're including those kind of historical details that you don't have to include, but you are, man, you, I am, I am watching and enjoying and just keep being surprised at how much of that keeps showing up. But, uh, and, and then they worked it, they worked it into polit. So it wasn't just the theology, but they also worked it into the politics of the Sanhedrin, which 
I mean, who knows if that's exactly how the politics would have worked. But I think what is the th- what is the word that Dallas loved to say? We like to do things that are plausible. Right. That that's that's absolutely plausible and historically rooted. And I loved it. So who knows if that's exactly how that would work. But uh, I, I'm in it to win it on that one. That's that is you had you had me at hello on that one. Yeah, and, and Shmuel is saying like, look, this is this is a moral imperative. Like, why are we getting mixed up on all this stuff? And and Yanni's like, look, this is this is if you want to actually accomplish anything, this is politics and this is emotion. And and Shmuel is just like, ugh, like yeah, yeah. And again, I love that. Like we we don't love Shmuel, but at the same time, like. He has convictions, and when it turns into politics, he feels gross about it. Yeah, and I love that because that is—I I think that's at play in the Gospels. Like you have, you have Pharisees. Most of them, I'm going to say, most of them, purely religiously, righteously devoted. It's misdirected and it's crooked, but it's 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 pure devotion. And then you have some Pharisees that are politically motivated. Some Pharisees are trying to kill Jesus. Most Pharisees are not. Some Pharisees are plotting. So, and, and that is in so many ways very politically motivated. And so, yeah, I love that. I think I said you had me at hello, but I think I should have said you had me at Hillel. Gee. <laughs> <laughs> There's more where that came from, everybody. Uh, just, just what we need, right? I'm here all week. Uh, so Yanni reveals he has a friend on the inside, a scribe. Uh, what did they say? So it's Shimon, the son of Hillel, and the, did they say he's the high priest at this point, or what? What was his position? I don't remember exactly what they said. Uh, oh, um, they said he was the head of the Sanhedrin. Head of the Sanhedrin. I don't know how that? Okay. I don't even know necessarily what we know or how that even works historically. Or even which Sanhedrin? I'm assuming most of these references in the Chosen are going to be referencing the formal Sanhedrin, but I mean, who even knows? Because it's not the it's not the name of of Annas, Ananus, and his Caiaphas and those the high priesthood families, but it'd be the head of the Sanhedrin to be different altogether. So I, that that all makes sense. It, it it checks for me. So anyway, Yanni is saying, yeah, I've got I've got a my my friend is the scribe for this guy. And like, we really need to get to him, but we can't get to him. But if we can get to our, if we can get this to my friend, he can bring it up at just the right moment. And then that'll get us what we need to get. And Shmuel meanwhile is like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go find some more witnesses. I'm going to try to get some more information. And then as the scene is ending, Yanni channels the audience's thoughts at this point and says, uh, you know, we really got to get some, some more variety in our names. We got Shimon, we got Shemai, we got Shemuel. This is getting a little confusing even for me. <laughs> it's like, yes, <laughs> yes, this is, this is a little complicated. Uh, so then we, we see uh, Mary actually getting into the tavern. She speaks with her friend. She says she's got some money. So it's like, yeah, Mary is charging forward with whatever, whatever she's doing here. She has made up her mind. She is, um, she is diving deeper into uh, her escape mechanism. And, uh, I think we see more about that in the next episode is what it amounts to. Uh, I think that's the end of what she does here, but then back at the camp, uh, we see, um, Simon introduce Simon, Peter introducing Simon, the zealot to everyone. Yeah. I love Peter befriending the zealot, by the way, as far as how it matches the gospels, like Peter definitely has some zealot in him. And I love that in the chosen. He's he had a hard time getting to know, you know, getting to accept the uh, the Essene. 
He didn't really, you know, how he felt. He doesn't like Matthew. But you give him a zealot that shows up, and he's like, hey, let me introduce everybody. I'm this guy's best friend. Somebody that's about action. Let's go. So I just found that to be great. So meanwhile, Jesus is uh, off by himself practicing uh, the Sermon on the Mount, this little 10-second scene that everyone is up in arms about. Um, And then, uh, you know, as Simon is introducing uh, everyone, he realizes that Mary is not there. And so Simon runs out to where Jesus is and explains that they don't know where she is. Uh, Matthew comes up as well. And Jesus is like, okay, Simon, take Matthew, go find Mary. A little bit of tension there. Obviously, Simon does not want to go with Matthew. And Jesus is like, look, this is, this isn't about whatever conflict you guys have. This is about finding Mary. So go take care of her. And, uh, that is the end of the episode. Ask Matthew what passage he's memorizing. Says to remember it. That's true. Yep. I love that. I love that. And I, I just, man, I, I, I'm just going to kudos to Dallas again. I know. He took all kinds of heat for that. I freaking loved it. So always going to be on his side when he does the whole humanity of Jesus thing. But I loved the idea of Jesus practicing a sermon. Now for me, and this is only a nuance, uh, he has like uh, he has Jesus like like finessing the word play, like salt losing its saltiness. Like I think Jesus would have been wrestling over like remezes. Like, how can I pack that full of meaning? Not not so much like word delivery as much as like content design, but I freaking love the idea of Jesus out practicing his sermon, designing it. I freaking love it. I I just can't stand how people got up in arms about that. That is so weird to me. Not surprised. Just I, that, that is so spot on to me. I just... I know he takes so much heat and will be a podcast. So whenever he makes that decision, we're going to be like, go get you some. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. So there's uh, three videos that I'm going to link. Um, The first one is, is actually about Mary and how everyone's saying, well, how could Mary fall back into her previous struggles after she's, you know, had an encounter with Jesus? Like, didn't he just solve all of her problems? Which, and we don't really, they don't really, and I haven't watched that video yet, so I don't know if you have, Brent, and you can speak to this. Uh, They don't ever connect any of those dots one way or another, which is part of the reason why I think they get away with so much of this stuff and and some of these sensationalized, like, demonic uh, portions and scenes and whatnot, because they don't connect all those dots blatantly. You're like, is she being, like, she just had a, a, like, a PTSD episode with a Roman soldier, is she just like the trauma and the there there's no indication that she's struggling with demonic possession is she struggling with her identity inner inner narratives like i i just felt like there are so many ways you could see that uh that whole um you know exchange but did did they speak to that at all or whatever in the videos that you saw i mean certainly not in the in the text of the show there's nothing about exactly what mary has fallen into um i I think everyone's just assuming that she is i don't know the second video i'm going to link is the full episode commentary by dallas and one of the things that he says in that he addresses that same thing again but one of the things he adds is um there were a lot of comments about how mary removed her veil when she was trying to get into the tavern um, the, the bouncer is like, Hey, uh, you know, we don't let women in here. And she's like, no, I know a guy tell him I'm here. Yep. And he's like, look, you seem like a nice girl. Just get out of here. 
and she takes her veil off at that point. And Dallas is like, that is not a sign that she's a prostitute. That has nothing to do with that. What that's what they said they were trying to portray is that basically that she's serious. She's not here as a Jew. She's not here out of any sort of, um, she's not trying to like display modesty or anything. She's, she's saying like, Nope, I'm, I mean what I'm saying. I I actually want to get in here. I'm not, I'm not trying to be innocent. I'm not trying to be whatever. Like, I know what I'm getting into. Please let me in. Yeah. She's definitely, I definitely didn't have, yeah, I, I, I didn't see that necessarily as, uh, sexual in any way or prostitution i definitely saw as she's definitely throwing off like typical decorum like he's like oh you seem like a nice person she's like nope not a nice person does this help like she's willing to be like uh no i'm (laughs) do not look at me and assume anything so um anyway so yeah yeah i just thought that was good i mean i don't know i i i don't know what the percentage is of people who think uh, Mary Magdalene was a prostitute, but, um, Dallas very clearly states that's not what he was doing. Yeah. It, not only is it not what he was betraying, he very clearly states she was not a prostitute. So yep. he's, right. he's even yep. going that far with it. Yeah. Good for him. The final video is, uh, the, um, there's a, a clip from the, uh, consultant round table uh, and they have a new Catholic priest. He's actually a Bishop this time. New guy. I don't know what happened to the old guy. I don't know if it's like a, rotating thing i don't know if we're gonna get a new one every year or something i don't know whatever but it's it's one of those videos and uh they're talking about um, basically the scene of jesus rehearsing and the humanity and divinity of jesus and all the all the fun theological terms and conversation around that so uh, not not anything beyond what we've said you know to a limited extent but if you want more of that conversation you can find it there yeah there you go uh yeah i I just, I just loved it all. It was good. Okay, it's a good episode. I thought they dealt with all the things well. I loved the character development. I, and like you said, there's not a whole lot of actual direct text content. This, I think you said this episode covers like a verse. Yeah, yeah, like two two verses. I think. Yeah, a couple, couple of random references. Yeah, but I, I love the uh, the way that it's developing and setting the stage and all that kind of stuff. So, yep, yep. I I was I was a fan. All right, short and sweet. Um, that'll do it for this episode. If you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB, and of course, you can find more details about the show at BeyondModestEpisode.com. So, thanks for joining us on the Baymall Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>